0: Hello and welcome to the Left Field Shades. My name is Joe Greenwoods. Uh, I hope you've all been doing well this week. Um, I kind of fucked myself in that opening by playing that David Bowie song cause it's like, you know, how are you supposed to follow that really? That track comes from uh, Paul Schrader's uh, Cat People, uh, but that version in particular was um, the edited version as used in Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. Um, uh, which I use because it has a it opens a bit quicker basically, like it doesn 't I think the one in the cat peoples soundtrack takes about two minutes to kick in, whereas that takes about a minute um fascinating, I know, but um, yeah, I just thought I'd give you a bit of behind the scenes details on the pod behind my thought process anyway uh let 's move on from that um this week i 'm talking about Paul schrader uh what i 'm going to do is i 'm going to kind of go through his career the beginning to present, and just pick and choose films to talk about, basically, that I think are the most interesting or the most important. Um, so films I'm probably going to skip over, uh, Last Temptation of Christ, which he wrote for Scorsese, and um, Autofocus, I don't really want to go into that, and he did some other movies which I haven't seen from the late 80s and 90s that yeah, I really don't particularly want to dig into. But yeah, I'm going to mainly dig into the into the big ones. Anyway, enough of this. Uh, let's get straight into it and get talking about Paul Schrader. chose illumina sa figure. Paul Schrader has often talked about his upbringing being very key to his approach to cinema. He was brought up Dutch Calvinist, which meant that he wasn't able to see a film until he was 17 years old. And he said as such that he approaches cinema as a more, in a more academic manner than an emotional manner. He wasn't able to build up an emotional connection as a child to the cinema and to films, um, so he could look at it a bit more analytically. And you can really see this uh, when you look at his um, reviews, because he became a, a film critic after completing an MA in film studies, working for LA Weekly. And one film in particular... That he reviewed during the time that is key to his future work as a filmmaker was um, Robert Bresson's Pickpocket, which he reviewed uh, one week for LA Weekly, and then the next week, when he didn't really want to talk about anything else but Pickpocket, he reviewed again. Um, It's the key work to, it's the key influence on um, all of Schrader's future work. The film follows uh, Michelle a petty criminal in Paris who is a pickpocket, obviously, from the title, whose inner demons and inner emotions end up physically entrapping him. He gets imprisoned later in the film. Much like most of Schrader's work, Michelle ends up finding salvation through a girl. What was really so interesting about the film, and there's a great video online um, of Schrader talking about this and I'll post the link underneath, is uh, he talks about the editing of the film, which manages to do something which cinema isn't able to do, and that is to portray human feelings and emotions through camera movement and editing, which is very difficult to do because normally because cinema is a very external thing. It's, it's not like a novel where you can actually dive into the human psyche. It relies really solely upon performance to get those emotions out. And that's what's so special about that film. And that's really what affected Schrader. And that's because Schrader, of course, was brought up Dutch Calvinist. He had strong spirituality. But Pickpocket was clearly a huge influence on him. And you can see that in probably his most famous film that he was involved in. was uh, He was the writer, of, of course, of Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. It was a script, actually. Schrader did not want Scorsese to direct. He wanted Brian De Palma to do it. Um, but he was convinced otherwise, uh, after seeing Scorsese's Alice. Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, um, Schrader did end up working with De Palma. He wrote Obsession for him. That uh, actually came out the same year as Taxi Driver. But the influence is pretty obvious to see, particularly from Schrader's point of view The in the script. Um, Scorsese brought more of a noir influence, but Pickpocket is clearly the big influence on Schrader's script. You have Travis Bickle, as played by Robert De Niro, who gets entrapped by his own mental thoughts and uh, his own feelings and emotions and his thoughts and ends up finding salvation through two women or attempting to find salvation through two two women. First off, uh, Sybil Shepard's political campaigner and then Jodie Foster's child prostitute. So early on in Schrader's career as a writer, you can see the influence of Pickpocket and it actually continued up to his first film as a director uh, Blue Collar which um, whereas uh, Taxi Driver dealt with and Pickpocket dealt with these internal issues that characters must overcome uh, Blue Collar instead of using internal issues it uses external issues because it follows um, three Detroit um, uh workers in uh, car factories. Um Detroit, of course, famous for the for the motor industry there, for General Motors being set up there. And the three um employees at this factory, played by Harvey Keitel, Yafik Koto and Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor, of course, uh he, he's actually a very good dramatic actor. It's a shame he actually didn't do more. He was very good in um, Lady Sings the Blues as well. But instead of it being internal, it's the external issues that they must overcome, um, That those being um, uh, union delegates and the class system. So there is that still that pickpocket influence, but it's not as overt as future Paul Schrader films. And Blue Collar is a film that I like, but I'm not... Because, as I said, it's the influence of pickpocket isn't as clear as something like Taxi Driver or American Jiggler, as I talk about in a, uh, which I'll talk about in a second. It's, um... I feel it's a bit of a, a lesser of film. It felt like a film he kind of had to do so that he could do future projects. Like, for example, 1979's Hardcore, which, as I'll bring up quite a few more times on this episode, Pickpocket is the big influence on it. It follows George C. Scott's... Um, Small tale businessman um, who, uh, in the film, has very strong Calvinist uh, beliefs. So Schrader is, of course, dealing with um, his own upbringing with this, and the daughter, his this character's daughter, um, ends up running away to California and appearing in porno movies. And you can kind of feel Schrader's. Dealing with his own issues here. You know, he, of course, went away to California, studied at UCLA, became film studies, got his Masters in film studies, and ended up making movies, of course. Of course, not to that degree. But, of course, it uh, it deals with those... Pickpocket-esque themes. You know, dealing with internal doubts, whether what, you're, what you've what you set your life up to believe in, and, and this is what I've done with my life, and this is what I've always believed, and then when something comes in and throws doubt in the way of it, how do you deal with it? How do you fight against it? And these doubts that start to imprison you, how do you deal with that? And this is really like the first film of Schrader's as a director that you can feel is truly his, but it's his next film that really hits that sweet spot of Schrader-esque themes: the idea of the lonely man in the world. This is something that Schrader is known for, and is continued doing: is the one man in the world having to fight against it all, and and the world just keep pushing back against them. And that is nineteen eighties American Judo. Schrader has dealt with this theme of the lonely man throughout his whole career you can really see where he starts to get into his groove with this, this theme. Um, the, the film follows Julian, as played by Richard Gere, who is a uh, gigolo, a high, high-end escort, male escort, uh, who gets entangled into a murder with two former clients of his. And as this is happening, he is also dealing with uh, an affair that he is engaged in with a politician's wife. And it's up to him, basically, to try and find a way out of it and arrested without, and being sent to prison um, without ruining this woman's life and her husband's um, and trying to maintain his career as such. Uh, the influence of Pickpocket, I'll keep going back to it, but it's always going to be there, with particularly with best films, is so evident, particularly with the last scene. With how he basically does a shot-for-shot shot remake of the last scene of *Pickpocket*, where you have Michel entrapped in a prison, and he gets visited by, and he gets visited by um, his love uh, Jeanne, as played by Marika Green, and she puts her hands through the bar, and he presses her his face against them, and he admits that he was wrong and that this is his salvation, and he. Does a essential shot for shot remake of that scene. And he's really, Schrader is outright saying this is what this film is about. It's about finding salvation in spite of all your past misdemeanours and all your past crimes. And it's not the only film uh, Schroeder references in American Gigolo. He also references um, uh, Goddard's My Life to Live uh, in a very famous sex scene between. Um, Michelle Stratton and Richard Gere, where he does a sexual shot-for-shot remake, again, of a of a um, sex scene from Godard's My Life to Live. Uh, but what's really interesting about this film is how he shoots Richard Gere. He actually shoots Richard Gere in this film like a woman, like how most women have been shot in cinema. He treats him like how von Stroheim treated Marlene Dietrich. He kind of ogles him as such, and this is something that Schrader has talked about: is that the idea that cinema is actually—it's not male or female; it's actually bisexual. Because what you do is you go into a cinema and you go into a darkened room and you watch on a big screen very beautiful people, very beautiful men, very beautiful women act out these fantasies, and it has this kind of—it has this very illicit feeling to it. So he shoots Richard Gere in this kind of neutral manner, I guess. Although it's not neutral, he does very much ogle him. same year uh, American Gigolo was released uh, Martin Scorsese's Raging Bull was also released and it was a film Schrader wrote um, mainly as gun for hire work um, it was De Niro's passion project more than anything but yet again it also that pickpocket influence is very much there someone's inner demons entrapping him eventually and him trying to find salvation not through a woman this time but through his brother um, Schrader's next film as a director was, uh, 1982's Camp People, which is a film which I very much like, but it's one that he did not write, and as such I feel like it is a lesser Schrader. It, it felt like him doing Gun For Hire work, I feel. Um, although it is very stylish and I think Natasha Kinsky and Malcolm McDowell are very good in it. But really, it's his next film. and You can kind of see why he did Cat People. I think it was to sort of try to show that he was a commercially viable director so that he could do his next project, which was a huge passion project, which was um, 1985's Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters. The film is about the Japanese author uh, Yukio Mishima, um, and it follows him on the last day of his life, finishing a, a manuscript and going to get ready to meet his members of his private army. And what Schrader does is uh, he shows Mishima's life in flashback. Uh, but what he also does is, in doing that, he incorporates elements of Mishima's most some of Mishima's most famous novels, Um, or segments from his books. Uh, The ones that he chose are uh, Kyoko's House, uh, Runaway Horses, and The Temple of the Golden Pavilion. Now, I can't comment on how well he translates these segments, um, seeing as I haven't read any Mishima. um, I know, a shameful admission. Um, But, what is very interesting here is, yet again, Mishima is that archetypal Schrader character, the lonely man in the world. Mishima was, of course, uh, gay, which in Japan at that time was just not really heard of, particularly from a a well-known and respected figure like Mishima. And yet again, it's that pickpocket influence keeps coming back, that thing of being entrapped by your inner feelings. But what Schrader does, really quite interesting, is that Rather than taking that Bresson approach of stripped down um, sets and really making things as bare as possible, um, he actually makes quite a stylized film. There are lots of very stylized sets and very stylized lighting. And you can feel that what he's doing is he's trying to show Mishima's release through his work. What he's trying to say is that Mishima wasn't entrapped. That he actually was free, and what he did was he released it through his novels. And so that kind of takes him out of the realm of a Schrader character. He has Schrader elements in there, he has that Bresson elements, but he is his own thing. Moving into the 90s now with Paul Schrader, there are only really two films I wanted to talk about from this era by him, and that's uh, 1992's Light Sleeper and 1997's Affliction. Light Sleeper is perhaps the most overt in being influenced by Pickpocket since American Gigolo, but more so Taxi Driver, which uh, Schrader says this film kind of bookends, that these two films are bookends. Taxi Driver is one bookend. Light sleeper is the other, and it follows Willem Dafoe's um, drug runner for high end drug dealers, played by Susan Sarandon. And it has that thing of trying to find salvation through a woman. Um, Dafoe's character has a sort of somewhat breakdown after having a meeting with an ex girlfriend who starts to bring out these thoughts in him which he'd sort of pushed down for quite a long time, they start to come out again. And you think that that is the girl that is going to help him find salvation, but in truth she doesn't. She actually pushes him down into this deep, dark place, and actually culminates in a rather horrible act of violence. But how Defoe finds salvation is not through her, it's through Sarandon. She's the one that provides salvation, and yet again, he's very overt with his references to Pickpocket, especially in the ending. Uh, Yet again, doing that thing he did in American Gigolo, with basically doing a shot-for-shot remake of the last scene of Pickpocket. The camera moves in, the music swells, he accepts her through her hands, she touches his face, and he finds salvation. He finds God, maybe. Who knows what he finds? The opposite end of that is 97's Affliction, which for me actually might be Schrader's bleakest film. This is of course someone who wrote Taxi Driver, which is hardly a laugh a minute. Um, But the ending of this film is just so bleak. The film follows Wade, as portrayed by Nick Nolte, who is a cop in this small town. He has a, in a small town, which he has lived in his whole life. Um, his alcoholic father still lives there. His alcoholic and abusive father still lives there, as played by James Coburn. He has a girl there who is sort of falling in love with, as uh, played by Sissy Spacek. He has a, a wife, an ex-wife, who he's battling for custody over with for his daughter, and you can feel all... and then there's this murder plot at the centre of it which he's investigating. So uh, This murder plot which he thinks is quite elaborate and it ultimately turns out to not be. And why this is his most bleak film is the, it, the ending of it. Of course there's, as I'll bring up as per usual, the pickpocket influence trying to find salvation through a girl from your inner demons. But there's also the influence of Jack London. And in particular, I think, Call of the Wild, which is about inheriting the sins of your father and whether you can break that cycle and whether you can fight against it and become a new man. And what's interesting with this is that you have Willem Dafoe in it, who plays this sort of semi he plays Wade's brother, he comes back to the town after their mother dies and you can see that he's different from his brother and his father he doesn't drink, he's very docile you know, very relaxed man, very quiet whereas Wade is quite a bit of a brute basically, as is his father and you can see that one managed to break away and become a new man and start his own new cycle and one is entrapped in it and he'll never get away and this becomes very evident in the ending, which is just so incredibly bleak and it's very sad. He gets he had the chance to get away, he had he had his version of Marika Green. As you know, he had his way of getting out, but he just couldn't do it. He just couldn't find the power within him to save himself. And I think that's what makes it so sad is that you know there are a lot of men out there like that who are just trapped and they'll never get away from it. They'll never break that cycle of abuse and will always be a part of it and it'll always be ingrained in them. It's almost like a cancer. They were just built upon a cancer. And, you know, and Nick Nolte's just so good in that film. His face is just so deep and... You can see the crevices in them just... how his face just folds up when he's in pain in that film. Because the character also has this toothache which he deals with in a rather awful (laughs) way. Just not a pleasant scene at all. But yes, Nolte's performance is just so huge and this film is so all-encompassing. It's this sort of black hole which other characters could get dragged into but they managed to save themselves and he essentially collapses in on himself and becomes his father. For me, that's really the last film Schrader has done that I feel like is a Paul Schrader film. Um, I did very much like Autofocus as well. Although, uh, saying that, I'm, I'm being a bit unfair. I did like Autofocus, although they, he didn't write that, but there is also The Walker, which I thought was a very good film. And, uh, as I mentioned earlier about Light Sleeper and... Taxi Driver being bookends. The Walker is very much a bookend with American Gigolo. Paul Schroeder has even said as much. But it's... Really, that's the last film that he's done of much worth. I mean, last year you had... The uh, Canyons come out as written by Brett Easton Ellis. And you can very much feel that... It's Schrader essentially making a film because he hadn't made a film since 2008. Uh, Adam Resurrected, a film I, I haven't seen. So I can't comment on... The Canyons is so close to being a good film, it's just a bad choice of director, I think. There's no Schrader themes there. It's very much a Bret Easton Ellis story, and it really, maybe Bret Easton Ellis should have directed it. That might have been a better choice. Um, although, for him to direct this film, which might have even added more scorn that people would have had with it, you know, it starred James Dean... The, the porn actor and Lindsay Lohan. So it's always had people always had the knives out for it. Um, but I think there is some worth there. It's not it's so close to being a good film I think, but And there are those sort of Schrader touches. You can feel some of his influences there. You can I I, I think he's in this film he's quite influenced by Goddard's contempt. Um, which is about a deterioration of a marriage. But it's two... I know I really like Brett Easton Ellis, but it's two people who I don't think meshed very well together. At least not on this project. Um, but yeah, as someone that I will always watch regardless. I just think he's a king when it comes to cinema. There's something so great about watching someone continually go back to the same themes over and over and over again and just work on those themes over and over and over again. Really, um, it almost feels like Schrader is kind of stuck with the themes that he's obsessed with. It's almost as if Paul Schrader is himself a Paul Schrader character. any episode listener questions Mm -mm. lovely 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 let's see what we've got here let's see okay best film about the Korean slash Vietnam war the best film about the Korean war is Mad Men the TV show Um, at least I'm just trying to think what films on the Korean war I have seen I think that's really it just watch Mad Men. That has some stuff on the Korean War, which is interesting. Uh, and then Vietnam War. I mean, there's the obvious ones I could say, which are Apocalypse Now, which is an amazing film, of course, and Platoon, and Born on the Fourth of July. But I think the one I'd recommend is, um, there's a 15-minute stretch in the Hughes Brothers film uh, Dead Presidents, which um, it's as good as any Vietnam War film. Those 15 minutes are just so tight and really tense and just so well done. Uh, that was the film they did after Menace to Society. Uh, and I highly recommend that film anyway. It's just a very good film. But that 15-minute stretch in set in Vietnam is just very, very good. Um, what are your thoughts on D.W. Griffith? Um... My thoughts on D.W. Griffith at this is that he is the one who kind of revolutionized cinema. He's the one who made cinema what it is today. Um, he really shaped the language of it, and um, along with Eisenstein. He really. Those two are really the two key guys. Um, that you can't really look past. I mean when you're talking about DW Griffith you always have to sort of talk about Birth of a Nation. Which I have i saw it in the cinema. Um, obviously not not when it came out. <laughs> um, but I saw it at the BFI and um I don't know, um this, it is a it's no tonight, it is a, a great film. Um of course the politics of it are dodgy. Um there's a slight misconception about that film, though, about when it came out that um, that it brought up numbers in the Ku Klux Klan. They sort of brought the Ku Klux Klan back into um, more members, which it did, but there was also mass rioting at screenings of the film because people were so pissed off by it. They thought it was disgusting, which D.W. Griffith kind of agreed with, but... He was also of the opinion was, people are writing about this film, let's get more prints out there, let's get it out to more people, there's controversy about the film. So he was kind of, not a showman as such, but more of a, just taking advantage of the situation I think, when it came to that film. Undoubtedly his politics were dodgy when it came to that film. But um, yeah, that's my thoughts on him. A great filmmaker who had shitty politics. Um, let's have a look at this another one any films which are undeniably trash but you love also have you seen Bullhead I have seen Bullhead and I liked it Matthias Schonatz is really good in that um yeah it's just good That's, I don't know who else I can talk about it but any films which are undeniably trash but you love <sighs> I mean I do kind of buy into that thing of um there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure. But um Let me think. I mean I guess John Waters is trash. Yeah, so I guess John Waters films. Um John Waters There's probably some like scuzzy horror movies which I'd like which aren't I guess, you know, you could say something like um, Mario Barber's, um Bay of Blood. Although there's another title for it, which is much better, which they didn't really go for. It got used in a couple territories, I think in Europe. But I think here in England, and America, it was Bay of Blood. It was released as, but I think in Italy it was released as uh, Twitch of the Death Nerve, which is just such a great title. Um, yeah, I guess stuff like that. Could be considered trash. Um, oh, there's a film, actually, that I want to see, which is... I don't know if it's trash, but it's just supposed to be not that good. Um, but it's supposed to be very weird. There's a film called The Visitor, um, which stars John Huston. And apparently it's this really weird Italian movie. There's, there's a really odd cast. John Houston plays the lead in it. Um, which is supposed to be very good. I'll have to check that out. I'm just trying to think. I don't know what you mean by trash. Do you mean something like, if I said... Like, I was about to say Austin Powers, but that's just a dumb comedy. Um, Yeah, I guess John Waters' film. Something like Pink Flamingos, I guess, would be... Do you know what film that I liked, which loads of people hated, was um, that David David Gordon Green film, The Sitter, with Jonah Hill. That film made me laugh, for some reason. Um... Lord knows why I watched it as well. But I liked it. I thought that was pretty trashy, but good. Good. It's not good, but it was all right. Um, You said love. What films do I love that are trash? Oh, actually, I just remembered one. What's that Stephen King? What's that one that's based on that? Is it called... um, Maximum Overdrive. That's it. It's got Stephen King in it. And it's kind of like uh, like an 80s rip-off of uh, Duel. Um, it's always, yeah, Maximum Overdrive. Um, it's not good, but I like it. Um, so yeah, I guess that would be a trash film that I like a lot. So yeah, give that a go and don't judge me too much. My name is Stephen King. I've written several motion pictures, but I want to tell you about a movie called Maximum Overdrive which is the first one I've directed. Wow. What in the dickens is going on around here? A lot of people have directed Stephen King novels and stories. And I finally decided if you want something done right, you ought to do it yourself. Who was driving it? I don't know. Okay, that should do it for this week's uh, episode of the Leftfield Show. Um, you can send in questions to um, into the show via... Uh, if you go to holdfastnetworkcom forward slash ask Joe. you can send in questions there. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at thepissoff. Yeah, and that's this week's show. Next week I'm talking about David Finch's Gone Girl, which a lot of people have asked me questions about. And I'll get to it next week. Um, I'm talking about that, and I'm also talking about the Maurice, Maurice Pielas um, We Won't Grow old together, which um, I think should make a nice combination with Gongil. Uh, so yeah, that's this week's episode. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, the next one I'm going to do like this should be episode 6. I'm probably going to do it on Jacques Demi. Um, whose music um, music from his film The Young Girls of Rochefort which I used for last week's episode um, so I'll be talking about that film on that podcast uh, so yeah, that's this week's episode I um, hope you enjoyed it and uh, hopefully I'll speak to you again next week